Happy New Year, everybody. You made your New Year's resolutions. We, uh, we make resolutions, but how often do we keep them? You know, we, we have good, good plans. You know, God makes resolutions. He, his, his resolutions don't have a time date on them, though. They don't say, well, I'm going to do this on this date and this on this date. He tells us what he's going to do, but he doesn't tell us when he's going to do it. He did tell us that he was going to send a, his son into the world. He was going to do this uh, at Bethlehem, and he was going to, his son would be born in a virgin. So he told us a lot of the details, but he didn't tell us when. So if I make a resolution, don't count on me to tell you when. I'll, I'll, I'll try to do it. So anyway, uh, Happy New Year, and I, I was going to, I don't see Bonnie and Perry here, but uh, this is their 43rd, no, excuse me, 40th wedding anniversary on Tuesday. So if you get a chance to text uh, text them or or uh, call or email them or something, give them a, a happy anniversary. That's quite a milestone, 40 years. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we sing these songs. All I have is Christ, Lord. What else is what else is worth having, Lord? We have we have so much, and yet, Lord, we we know that there's nothing that compares with you, Lord. Father, you are our God. You're our King. You're our Creator. Or you're a Master. You're Lord. You're Redeemer. Lord, you are all in all to us. And uh, Lord, uh, without you, we feel. Lord, we're lost. We are lost. We feel lost. So, Lord, we ask you now to just take this word. Uh, this is your word, Lord, and take it and uh, help it, uh, Lord, to do the work that you called it to do. And, Lord, just uh, let the word impart, Lord. Uh, we sing that song, um, ancient words ever true, changing you and changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Let the ancient words impart, Lord. So these words, uh, Lord, have life, they have meaning. Lord, let them do whatever they can do in each one of us, Lord. We all have needs. Lord, so we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I remember shortly after, um, shortly after, Getting saved, I, I was um, a new creature in Christ, and I was pretty excited. And I went to the fair, county fair, and I'm walking down through the, you know, the sales barns and all those different places. And here's a little booth with Jesus on the sign, and and uh, you know, come to Jesus and all these things on the sign. And I thought, well, I'm going to stop there and talk to that guy. Um, and I kind of walked up to him, and he looked at me and he said. What if you died today? He said, and God said to you, why should I let you in my heaven? I, I just kind of went into shock. I kind of, what? Why would he ask me such a thing? You know, why would he say to me, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Why would he bring this up? You know, and it just kind of came as a shock. You know, it was like, I had never heard that before. And so he... Um, I, I thought about it a little bit, and then I recovered, and I said, well, because I belong to Jesus. And he said, that's good. <laughs> so 
I came out of that one, but my first thought was to go, you know, what should I say? You know, what should I say? How should I, you know, should I tell him I've done a lot of good things or, you know, I went to church and sometimes I read my Bible or those kind of things. Um, so uh, that was uh, kind of a, a eye-opener for me. And, and uh, you know, I, I started thinking about that and I said, well, if, if you died today, are you sure where you'd go? And and uh, we have an assurance in Christ. You know, we sing these songs again. Well, all I have is Christ, but Christ is enough. And so we say, well, what is the gospel? What is this uh, this thing called the gospel that we read about in the, in the scriptures? Paul was adamant. Paul was just he he was. His life was the gospel. That's what Paul lived. And uh, objectively, you can look at the gospel and you can say, well, um, it's about Jesus. Agree with that? Yeah. Everybody agrees with that. It's all about Jesus. You know, it's about his incarnation, uh, God becoming a man, Emmanuel, God with us. It's about his perfect life, a sinless life. It's about... His suffering and persecution and and all the things he had to go through in order to um, you know to to go to the cross, you know all the things he had to take, all the abuses and all the slanders and all the things they said about him and and um, you know the different uh, groups trying to kill him. You know they wanted to kill him. He was you know he was too different than they were and they didn't like that. So his sinless life, that was part of the gospel. And then it was the, the suffering and death on the cross, the, the cross at Calvary, you know, hung up there to die in public humility and public shame. And uh, Lord, he, uh, he was up there and he just died in front of everybody, you know, stone dead. And they put him in the ground and he went into a, a tomb uh, Joseph and Nicodemus carried him to a tomb that no one had ever laid in before. They put him in there, and then, uh, um, then on the third day, he rose again. He rose up from the dead. You know, he didn't stay dead. He came back and he showed himself to, you know, I would say more than five hundred people. Um, all his apostles saw him. Many people saw him, and. Um, that's part of the gospel. And then finally his ascension. You know, he's, he's standing there and all of a sudden he just goes up into the clouds. And the angels look at these apostles standing there and they said, You men of Galilee, why are, why are you standing there looking up into heavens? He, he said, This same Jesus that you saw go up into the heavens will come again the same way that you saw him go up into the heavens. The same Jesus. That's an encouraging word for us. The same Jesus is going to come back. It's not going to be a different Jesus. You know, when, once he got to heaven, he didn't change. He didn't say, well, I don't want anything to do with that ugly humanity anymore. You know, he, he said, I'm going to stay a man. So he's the God man. He stands as a man at the right hand of God. He's our, he's our intercessor. He's our God man. And then, Finally, he's going to come again in great glory. He's going to come again and he's going to establish his kingdom on the earth. He's going to pick up his church and take him away. And uh, all that's part of the gospel. So 
objectively that's the gospel, but what about subjectively? You think about it subjectively, the gospel has got a problem, you know. And the problem is sin. The problem is me. So what what is the gospel subjectively? That means what does a disinterested, dead and spiritually dead sinner how does how does that person appropriate the gospel? What does it have to do with me? You know, I I may not care about the gospel. I might not care about God. I might not care about all the things that he you know that uh, it tells me in the scriptures and the gospel tells me. I maybe I don't care about those things. So, I guess they don't make any difference to me. Well, that's all part of, of the subjective. How are we going to get the gospel to uh, those that don't want it? or those that really don't care if they get it. So let's read uh, um, a few verses here in Romans. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, For I am not ashamed. This is, uh, this is Paul's little, little mention of the gospel in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 21. We'll, we'll read 16 through 21. <clears throat> Excuse me, of Romans 1. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it, that's in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of men, excuse me, for what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Boy, that's a... That's a scary thing. Well, in Deuteronomy 29.29, it says, The secret things belong to God, but the revealed things are ours and for our children forevermore. Forever. And I think, well, that's a good thing. The things that are secret, God's going to hang on to. He doesn't want to tell us some things. And that's Okay. But he has revealed to us the things he wants to give us. He wants us to have them. So um, we got in two verses here, 18 and 19, we got two things revealed. It says in 18, the righteousness of God is revealed. from the God, In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. 
But it says in the next verse, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So where does that leave the sinner? You know, he's under the wrath of God, but he wants to get, or he should want to get, or we do want to get, we do want him to get, God wants him to get to the other side under the righteousness of Christ. And uh, I, I'm glad Steve read um, what he read this morning in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. That tells the same story in a nutshell. But um, Paul was, uh, the gospel said, Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Maybe he should have been. I mean, I'm ashamed that I'm ashamed of the gospel. You know, I've often been ashamed of the gospel. There's times when I say, why didn't I say something? You ever do that? You know, you say, oh, man, I should have said something, and I didn't. Um, and, and, I, and I think, well, Paul, he should have been ashamed of the gospel a little bit because the gospel gave him nothing but trouble. You know, well, it did give him more than trouble, but it gave him a lot of trouble. And uh, the trouble that he got, well, well like it says in, in, in Philippi, you remember, he was thrown into into jail, and then at midnight he and Silas sang, and the and the jailer said, "Oh, what must I do to be saved?" And and uh, he so he was in jail because of the gospel. And then in uh, Berea, remember, he had to be lowered down on a basket over the wall at night because they were trying to kill him. When he came out through the door, they were going to kill him through the gates. So they lowered him in a little basket, and um, that was because of the gospel. And then he was chased out of Thessalonica and chased out of Thessalonica. And he was uh, laughed at in Athens by the, these intelligent Greeks that sat around all day with nothing more to do than think about what, what they wanted to think about. Um, they laughed at Paul. Uh, in Corinth, he was taken as a fool. You know, what, what a fool, you know, you are, Paul. And then in Galatia, he was stoned and left for dead. But all these things because of the gospel. Um, so that gospel wasn't always good to Paul. Um, he was he was suffering because of the gospel, and he should have he could have been ashamed of it. Um, when he was in his uh, prison, in his first imprisonment in Rome, remember he he went to prison on on purpose. He went to Rome and said, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. And he was taken into house arrest. And he was pretty comfortable, actually, I think. He had a couple soldiers with him all the time that he could tell the gospel to. Um, he had uh, the right to have friends come and visit him. He could uh, write letters and do things like that. So he, he was uh, pretty comfortable in this imprisonment. And uh, he wrote the... The prison epistles then, you know, he wrote to the Ephesian church and he wrote to the Philippian church in Colossia. He wrote to uh, Philemon. So these were uh, letters that he wrote uh, in his first imprisonment. But then he went back a second time, not of his own will, but of God's will. He said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And he goes back to Rome. And this time Nero is, is, is going gonna to kill him. He's going to execute him. And Paul's in prison, and he's, you know, trying to do whatever he can. And he's he's not in any friendly little house arrest this time. 
But he gets wind from somebody, I don't know, one of his friends or somebody in the church visiting him or something, I don't know. But he gets wind that Timothy's becoming a little bit shaky. Timothy's not standing up for the gospel like he should be. Timothy's kind of backing off. He's he's maybe a little bit ashamed of the gospel. He's a little bit afraid. He's very fearful of the persecution. He knows that Paul's probably not going to come out of prison alive this time. So Timothy's kind of in a in a spin over this gospel thing. And so Paul writes him a letter. This is called Second Timothy. And he writes it shortly before he died. And uh, he says to Timothy, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. Therefore, be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of, of me, his prisoner, uh, but be a partaker together with me of the afflictions of the gospel of God according to the power of God who has saved us and called us unto a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purposes and grace which he hath given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And he's now been made manifest through the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought uh, light, life and immortality light through the gospel, through the gospel, to which Paul had been called a, a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For which cause I suffer these things, he says. For which cause I suffer these things? Because I've been called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Jews don't like that. You know, you're taking our thing and giving it to these dirty Gentiles, these dogs. And he, he didn't like that. But then Paul says, Nevertheless, Timothy, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For I know whom I have believed in. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So Paul um, Paul tells us there why he wasn't ashamed. Because I know. Because I know whom I have believed in. And that's pretty important for us. Um, we have to know whom we have believed in. Remember in, Phil, in, uh, in Philippians where Paul says, uh, oh, I, I got all these awards and I got all these things and, you know, I can do all these things and I'm a great Jew and all these things. He says, but I count them all as rubbish that I might gain Christ. He says that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable to his death. Well, that's what Paul was. That's who Paul was. And he did know him, but he wanted to know him more. And, you know, that should be the cry of every one of our hearts, to know him more. That's probably the best New Year's resolution we can make and try to keep, to know him better, to know Christ. That's that's what it's all about. Well, um, so Paul, know, he knew God, and he knew he didn't have to be ashamed because he was going to, Tell them good news. The gospel is good news. I'm going to tell you what you can do to avoid the wrath of God, you know, to come out from under the horrible wrath of God. It's a, Hebrews, it says it's a terrible thing to fall under the hand of an of, of angry God. Um, 
We don't want to do that. So how is this gospel going to go out? Well, it's going to go out by the foolishness of preaching. By the foolishness of preaching. Um, Paul says, in the wisdom of God, men knew not God by wisdom. But it pleased him by the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. To save those that believe. So Paul's going to go out and he's going to preach the gospel. Some are going to receive it. Some are going to hate it. Some are going to hate it so much they're going to try to kill Paul. So that's the way the gospel is. Some love it. Some don't. Some receive it. Some don't. Some just sit there blank. It doesn't make any difference to them. It kind of comes in and bounces off and they don't think about it. They don't pursue it. Um, But it's a necessary thing. This gospel comes to us through the channel faith. We don't have any faith. We do if you watch football on a Sunday afternoon and somebody runs for a touchdown and and they'll, they'll go. And they might do a little dance and then they'll say, uh, after the afterwards in the interview, they said, well, yeah, I was having kind of a rough time, but I kept the faith. I kept the faith. And uh, they don't know what they mean by that. What they mean is I kept the confidence in myself. You know, I can do it. I didn't give up when I when things got tough. I I kept trusting in myself. I can do it. And of course, that's how a lot of people go through life. So what Paul does, um, I need a bigger pulpit here. Um, So for, for any, either of these two statements, and the wrath of God's revealed, and the, and the uh, righteousness of Christ is revealed in the gospel, um, to receive either one of them, we have to receive it by faith. faith. Faith is the channel. So for either to be effective in our hearts, and you say, well, why would you want the wrath of God to be effective in your heart? Because it's by understanding the wrath of God that we flee from our sin. That's why we run from sin. That's why we, uh, you know, that's why we run to Christ. You know, repentance is turning away from your wicked ways and turning toward the righteousness of Christ. And, you know, uh, we wouldn't do that if we didn't know we were under the wrath of God. If we didn't know that God uh, was going to judge us one day, he was going to stand over us and look down at us and say, you are in trouble. You're in trouble. You know, you, you're not just in trouble because of what you do. You're in trouble because of who you are. You know, our sin, we're, what do they always say? You know, we're not a sinner because we sin. We're a sin. We sin because we're a sinner. You know, that's who we are. Inside, we have this nature, this nature that rebels against God, this nature that wants to be independent, this nature that wants to do its own thing. All of us are full of that. But, but thankfully, God has come in and, and taken our heart, and he's, uh, he's, he's given us a new life, a, a different nature. And the old nature's still there. And, you know, sometimes we read in the paper some... Somebody does something, you know, really wicked, you know, just something that you can't even believe how they do it. You know, you say, you say, how could that ever happen? How could anyone do such a thing? 
Well, the reason they can do such a thing is because of sin. Don't you think that's it? It's because of sin. And if they can, if they do what they do because of sin, then somehow we got to get rid of the sin. Well, I was thinking, you know, Jesus went to the rich young ruler and he, and he said, well, what's the greatest commandment in the, in the rich young ruler? Well, um, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors, yourself. Jesus said, that's, that's good. You know, you're not too far from the kingdom. And I think he meant, you're not too far from the kingdom. I'm right here. But you're not too far from the kingdom. So um, what, what is, uh, if that's the great commandment, then what is the great sin? Not to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And how many of us can say guilty? How many of you can say, well, I love God with my whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? Uh, I have to confess I don't. You know, sometimes you get into a real, you know, spiritual mood or something, and you're sitting there, you say, yes, I love I love you, Lord, with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it might last five minutes, ten minutes, an hour. Pretty soon you're back to doing whatever you always do. So... I don't know. I, I, I don't know anyone that's ever kept that except, of course, Jesus in his humanity did that. He did that for us. But uh, so this channel of faith, it's got, uh, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But we don't have any faith until God gives us the faith, a true faith. I'm not talking about faith in myself or faith in the Vikings are going to win the Super Bowl or faith in... You know, uh, you know, America's going to get straightened out here or whatever. You know, I, I just think uh, faith, uh, I'm talking about saving faith. And so faith is a channel by which the graces of God are distributed to his chosen people. Faith itself is a grace. It's a gift. And it tells us what Steve read this morning in Ephesians, you know, um, um, by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God. You know, it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Um, it's not of works. Unless you're going to, you know, you'd probably boast about it if it was something you could do to get it. So faith, come, uh, faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. So when, when, when the word of God is preached, when the word of God is presented, when the word is God, when the word is, of God goes out, It's got power. Paul said so in our first little reading there. We said, uh, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. So if a person is to be saved, they've got to hear the word of God. It's got to get out to them one way or another. And, and, and of course, by the foolishness of preaching. Um, some, some would say, well, you know, why you preach? What's all this preaching about? And, they, and the reason they say that is because they never heard preaching, or maybe they heard preaching that didn't preach the gospel. They preached somebody preached, uh, you know, um, good works or something other other than the gospel. But when the gospel is preached, it enters in and it changes the person. And you say, well, what what's the power of uh, the gospel 
is the power. What do you mean by that? Does the gospel give you the power to save yourself? Maybe. Or does the gospel give you um, the power to know what to do to love God? Or, no, he says, the power, the gospel is the power. You know, it's not about what you do. It's not about you. It's about what Christ is doing in you through the gospel. The preaching of the gospel does the work. So the gospel comes to you and and it's at it's at work inside of you through that word that you heard and it's we're at work inside of you through the the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when the faith comes you didn't have it God had to give you that initial seed of faith in you. He had to put that little bit of faith in you to receive the faith that he wants to give you which is more and more and more and more and our faith increases. Some would say, well, from faith to faith means, you know, we start out with a little teeny bit of faith and we get more and more and more and more and more until we go to be with him. Or some would say, well, it means from a weak faith to a stronger faith. Or some would say, well, it means uh, um, it goes from um, a faith that someone receives from Christ and then they go tell somebody and they receive faith. So faith just keeps passing itself on. And all those things are logical and I don't know, I think I, I, I could look in the commentaries and, you know, everybody thinks something different. So I don't know if anybody knows what that means, faith to faith. I think it means God gives us a little faith and enough to receive faith. And so God is faith. It's God's faith. He gives it to us, and then now we're ready to receive the other graces because he gave us that little bit of faith. And so we start receiving the graces of God. I don't know. Don't quote me on that because um, I don't know as much as John Calvin and all the people that tell you, well, John Calvin's idea was that it was from a weak faith to a stronger faith. That was his faith to faith. Well, I don't know. But we are exposed to God's word when we begin to see, when we are exposed to God's word, we begin to see the otherness of God. Do you ever see that? Do you ever see where um, God isn't like I am? God isn't like you are. God is different. He's other. He's the other God. He's other than other gods. He's other. He's all in the class by himself. He's, he's, he's the true God. He's the one true God. He's, uh, he's there. Um, he says, look unto me, for I am the Lord God and there is none other. You know, just look. Look unto me. So we're exposed to his word. We begin to see the otherness. So we start to see that he's holy and righteous. And I'm unrighteous and sinful. And not holy. So we begin to see our need and we begin to see that we are under his wrath. And uh, how are we ever to be reconciled to him? There's nothing we can do to get ourselves reconciled to him. All of our, uh, you know, our striving won't help. We struggle. We try to find other ways to satisfy this nagging discontentment in us. You know, well, what am I going to do today? You know, what... 
um, man, I got to I got to get another hunting trip planned, or I got to I got to go here, or I got to go there, or I got to see another football game, or I got to do something, because um, I don't. I got to be doing something. I don't want to sit still because then I start thinking about the wrath of God. I don't want to do that. So they, they struggle. They really struggle with that. And this is where the God's word becomes so important. Uh, in in the absence of the word of God, men will waste <clears throat> excuse me minutes, hours, days, months, years, a lifetime trying to satisfy themselves, trying to figure out a way. You know, to get rid of that nagging discontentment. Well, <clears throat> in the Word of God, it tells us that there is an answer. And uh, God transcends time and space. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows exactly every single thing about you. And he knows your needs. And he knows exactly the moment of your transformation. If there's ever going to be one, he knows when that's going to happen. So true saving faith has to have, number one, a knowledge. You have to know this God that you're going to put your faith in. If you didn't, you, you know, you have to know he's trustworthy. You have to know that he, what he says he's going to do. <clears throat> so a knowledge of whatever the object of your faith is. Um, you have to have a personal surrender, a personal cross, a personal experience. Uh, you have to have, uh, you know, you have to make Christ yours. If you ever done that, make Christ your own. Um, he was crucified on that cross. When he died, I died. When he was raised up, I was raised up. Um, that's scriptural. That's what the Bible says, that um, he died for you. He died for me. And the reason he died is because he loved us and he, he cared about us. And what Steve read, I, I love, um, um, and the, by the way, the third, the first thing is true knowledge of this, of, the, of your object of faith, personal surrender, heartfelt commitment, and then a lifestyle that reflects some change. There better be some change in your life. If, uh, if you're a born-again believer, may not be a whole lot of change immediately, but there will be a change. There will be a change probably more than any place else in your thinking. Things you think about, you know. Um, all of a sudden, you'll have a whole new focus in life. I remember that. I remember how how much I, I never read the Bible. I didn't never have a Bible. I mean, I had one, but I didn't ever open it. And I... I didn't care about reading it or anything, but I didn't remember afterwards. I just loved the Bible. I just loved to read God's Word, and and that was a change. And I don't know. You have to ask the people around me if I changed. I I think I changed. I know I changed my thinking. I changed a lot of things. I changed, uh, you know, my habits. A lot of bad habits. Um, I still have a lot of bad habits. So, um, um, what? Um, you know, just things that the life changes, the focus changes, the attention changes, uh, what you what you like, with the, what you want to talk about, what you want to hear. That that all changes, and so the gospel does the work in a person. And uh, sinners are under the wrath of God, and they fall into three categories, according to Paul. Here, he 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 takes the 
scriptures in Romans in chapter 1. He starts on verse 18 where he says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And he says, well, who's this wrath revealed against? Well, it's against those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, they know, but they don't want to. They don't care. They don't want to do anything about it. They don't care if their life is sinful. They don't care if their life is is that way. So Paul divides them into three groups. You know, he he first the first group he says in you can read about it in Romans one nineteen to thirty two. That's the group that that they're openly hostile to God. Paul tells us they're they're really openly hostile. They don't care one bit about what God thinks. They don't care that God's watching them. They don't care um, that he's going to judge them. Big deal. I don't believe in him anyway. And they think because he doesn't, they don't believe in him, then why, why should I care about God? That's a mistake. That's a mistake. So, they're openly hostile. They're like robbers and harlots and evildoers, adulterers and tax collectors. They are lost and they know it. And they don't care. They glory in their sin. And then I'll read just a couple of, a few verses here that I picked out of that part that Paul talks about this group. He says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do the things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness. Listen to this list now. Covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedience to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, they not only do that, but they take pleasure in them that do it with them. That's a mouthful, huh? Tells us about the kind of people that most of us were, or many of us were. Well, and then the second group Paul talks about in Romans 2, 1 through 11, first 11 verses of chapter 2. And these people really look down on that first group. They say, boy, I'd never do those things. I would never do any of those things. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, this is the morally superior group, you know. They're morally superior. They would not think of openly opposing God or doing anything evil. They compare themselves with those they think they're better than. God will certainly see them as good, and God must certainly grade on a curve, and I'm right up at the top. That's me. I'm right up there. They judge, uh, they believe themselves to be very pleasing to God. To them, the gospel is too simple. I'm not going to believe the gospel. Uh, it, you, you can't say somebody can just be changed by believing the gospel. You can't tell me that. That's that's silly. I can do great things for God. You know, I can do this and I can do that. I go down, you know, and I serve in the lunch line and I go here and I give to charities and 
I put my money in the plate when I go to church. They do all those things, um, and they say, well, God sees that stuff, and he's pretty pleased with me. God likes me. And they leave it at that. They never do go to the place where they say, God, I'm a sinner, and I need you. I need you to take over this life of mine. They never get that far. And uh, and it's sad that they don't. But they leave themselves hanging. And then there's the third group that Paul talks about in uh, chapter 2, 17 to the end of that chapter. Uh, Actually, he goes all the way into chapter 3 up to verse 9. And this is the religious person. You know, this is the person... Um, that believes he can stand before God because of his religious practices. You know, um, I, I do this and I do that and I'm, you know, I, I take communion and I go get baptized and I read my Bible and I do this and I do that and I have my rosary beads and I go knock on doors and tell people about, uh, God and so on. And they think, well, God's gonna look at that Religious stuff, and he's going to say, well, that's good stuff that they're doing. I like them. I'm going to bring them into my heaven. And that's how they feel. Well, I think a good, a real good little um, thing, you know, it's a, uh, we'll, we'll read just a little bit of what Paul says about them. He says, indeed, you are called a Jew, and you rest on the law, and you make your boast in God, those are good things, and you know his will, and you prove things that are excellent, you're being instructed out of the law, that's good, and the, and you're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, but a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. So you really something, Paul's saying. You religious Jews. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. And I think the, a, a good little story that goes with that is the story of the Pharisee and the publican. He, he says, uh, um, as Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were religious and righteous and despised others, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I think that I'm not like other men. Extortioners and unjust and adulterers or even this tax collector standing over here. You know, I fast twice a week. I give tithes and all I possess. And a tax collector standing far off would not even look up. But he beat his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. What a difference in those two. And Jesus says it's not the Pharisee that went away justified, but it was the tax collector. 
uh, the one that cried out for mercy. Um, the, the, the Pharisee said, well, I do all these things. And so he was pretty proud of that. But you know, when, he, when he would do that, and I think he, he probably was a really good man. You know, he probably helped people. He probably put his money in the plate. And he probably, um, you know, uh, prayed a lot and fasted. And he did all the things he was supposed to do. And that was really good. Um, but who did he do them for? You know, he did them so people would see him. You know, it says he did them to be honored by the people. That was his his goal, to be somebody. So he did it for that reason. And uh, that's a that's self-adoration, I guess. So Paul comes to a conclusion on all this. And uh, Paul says in verse, look at Romans 3, 10 and uh, 3, 10 through 12. This is Paul's conclusion about all this that he's just been telling us. Oh, so I'll start with 9. He says, what then? Uh, are we better than they? No, he's telling us to the Jews. For we previously charged that the Jews and Greeks that they're all under sin. So as it is written, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understand. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. And with their tongues, they have practiced deceit. So that's what, that's Paul's conclusion. That there's just nobody. There's no one that measures up. Not not President Biden, not Billy Graham, not, uh, you know, whoever you want to name. You know, you look for somebody that's really great out there, you know. Um, Paul said, no, no, not a one of them. Not one single person measures up. Only one ever walked as a human being on this earth and was acceptable to God. And you know who that was. That was our Lord Jesus Christ. No one else ever did that. And so Paul's, so you know, so, you know, his conclusion is that uh, since there's no, none righteous, that we need a righteousness that's not our own. We need a different righteousness, another righteousness. And uh, I like, um, since they're all under condemnation and under the wrath of God, Paul spends the rest of chapter 3 explaining the gospel that reveals the righteousness of God without the law is the only answer. A righteousness that's not our own. Would you like to be, what would you like since there's two righteousness? There's the righteousness of God under the law. It's a good righteousness. I'd like to have that. Or would you rather have a righteousness without the law? You see, the righteousness that's under the law is the righteousness, and here it is, you know, do this, do that, do this, don't do that, don't do that, do this. And if you can do it, you're righteous. God's going to receive you. But, unfortunately, he says, if you fail, your goose is cooked, you're dead duck, you know. You're going to die. For the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. And you say, well, that's a good righteousness. I think I can try. 
No. He says, I'll give you a tip first. There's no one ever been able to do it in the whole history of mankind except one. And that was Jesus. No one ever was able to keep the law of God. So, I like the... uh, So the righteousness of God under the law makes us tremble because we know we're going to, if we fail, we're dead. We're dead. But then the other law, if God removes the law, if he could take away the law, and then that righteousness sounds pretty good to us. If, if, if I goof, I'm not going to get hammered, you know? That, that sounds better to me. I'd rather be in the righteousness of God without the law than the righteousness of God under the law. So I love the buts of Scripture. Do you ever look at the buts of Scripture? B-U-T, but. But. It's a conjunction. Um, I couldn't remember if it was a preposition or a conjunction, so I looked on Google. I said, is this a conjunction or a preposition? I said, it's a conjunction. So I said, that's good. Okay. So, uh, but is a conjunction, and um, I, I, I love the conjunction that Steve read to us this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, where you know, they told us that, you who he hath quickened, who were dead in sin and trespasses, who formerly lived according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that work, now works in the children of disobedience, among whom all of us had our conversation in times past, through the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were as others children of wrath. But, right there, but God. I love that. But God who was rich in mercy and who, who, you know, who loved us even when we were dead in sin and trespasses, hath quickened us together in Christ. By grace are you saved. By grace are you saved. And raised us up together and seated us together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, that he might show forth in the ages to come the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God beforehand hath ordained that we should walk in them. So that's that's a but. But not, but God. And then, of course, in Romans 3.21 here, Paul does that again. He uses but. And he says, uh, let's see if I can find it here. Um, Where's the boasting then? Well, that's 3.21. Okay. But now. Paul says, but now. He had just spent two and a half chapters telling us how bad we are. You know, he really dejected us. I mean, we were really dejected down in the pits. He says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is revealed unto them who believe, unto all them that believe. Boy, that's that's precious. It's being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God which is through the faith of Jesus Christ unto and upon all them that believe. For there's no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Wow. 
Then Paul spends the rest of the chapter probably giving us the the clearest picture of the gospel that we'll find anywhere. Verses 21 to the end of the chapter, actually. um, Yeah, 31, 20, excuse me, 21 to the end of chapter 3. I think you should read it often. Read it as often as you can. Meditate on it. Think about it. And believe it. 21 to the end of the chapter. It's 10 verses, I think. Probably 10. How many? Yeah. 10, 10 verses exactly. 21 to 31. But it's a, it's a rich, rich um, section of Scripture. You know, I, I was going to watch the time. And I don't want to go too long here. And I keep looking at the clock. I keep saying 10 o'clock. And I think, wait a minute, how can it be 10 o'clock again? I looked there a long time ago. It was 10 o'clock. So I, don't, I get to figure out what time it is. Anybody tell me? Oh, perfect. 10.15. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, I had that planned right to the minute. There you go. Um, so um, I just want to emphasize that this is not something that you can put off. This is something that's eminent. The gospel is always eminent. It's always there. It's something that even even those of us that call ourselves Christians and that are saved, and you know, we never, never want to forget the gospel. We want to go back to it, go back to it, go back to it, over and over and over. Um, and I, I um, you know, it's not just that God paid our debt but that he also gave us his righteousness. It was a double imputation. He said, here, you give me your sin, I'll take it away, and then I'll give you my righteousness. And he closed us with his righteousness. That started back in the garden when when God clothed Adam and Eve with with a bloody sacrifice. Christ says, I, I'm that bloody sacrifice, and I'm going to clothe you with it. So he closed us with his righteousness. So that whenever God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. That's where we want to be. Okay, so Moody told was telling his church that D.L. Moody, on the day of the great Chicago fire, you read about somewhere, you heard about maybe, um, and, and uh, Moody was preaching on, um, I think it was Pilate's words, and Pilate said, what will you do? Uh, what shall I do with Jesus? You know, because the crowd, he wanted to let Jesus go, but the crowd said, crucify him, crucify him. And so he said, what shall I do with Jesus? And so Moody was preaching on that, and he preached uh, preached his heart out on that. And then he said to the congregation, go home and think about it for a week. And then next week you come back and you tell me what you think, it, what you're going to do with Jesus. What are you going to do with Jesus? And the fact is, they never came back. No one ever came back. That church was destroyed in the fire. Many of those people died. And Moody was his rest. He spent the rest of his life regretting that he told them to go home and think about it for a week. He said, "Now, when I preach the gospel, I press it home." He says, "I decide now. You know, make your commitment today. Don't wait." And then I'm just going to end with one little verse. I'll if I can find it. Um, 
Here it is. No, not there. Well, anyway. Here it is. Uh, this is from 2 Corinthians 6 2, and it says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you this now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Today. So, those are some things to think about. Um, and then we're going into a new year here. Let's let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Paul and all that he went through and all his words that he tells us, Lord. Uh, we thank you that all these words that you've given to your apostles were recorded, Lord, and the prophets were recorded. Lord, these things were written down and they are for us, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we can... We can know these things and that we can know you. And we thank you for the power of the gospel that saves, Lord. And we, we're just, uh, just thrilled, Lord, that, that you've moved into our lives and you've given us this word and you've helped us to understand it, Lord. And so we, we thank you for that. We pray for this year ahead, Lord, that we would set goals, that we would say, um, Lord, that we're going to know you more. We want to love you more. We want to know you more. And Lord, we we just thank you for all these things and for your word today and just pray your blessing on the week ahead here for everybody in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And uh,